0: Shalom and welcome to Nourish Your Biblical Roots, Conversations with Yael. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. On my weekly podcast, I invite thought leaders, authors, pastors, and other religious leaders, politicians, and influencers to share their views on Jewish-Christian relations, Israel, and other issues that are of key importance to people of faith. Today, I feel so excited and very blessed to welcome Sheila Walsh to the podcast. Sheila is an in-demand Bible teacher and best-selling Christian author whose books have sold over 5 million copies. She's a frequent host on TBN's flagship program, Praise, as well as Better Together and other TBN programs. I had the honor of hosting Sheila and Praise host Lori Crouch when they visited Israel earlier this year, and together we toured many holy sites and fellowship projects and had a lot of fun. That visit was featured on Praise earlier this month, which you can you by going to watch.tbn.org. I'll put the link in the show notes. As many of you know, Sheila started out as a star in contemporary Christian music and went on to become a Grammy nominated recording artist. She's also made her mark as an author, inspirational speaker, Bible teacher, and a prominent personality in Christian media. She spent five years co-hosting the 700 Club with our dear friend, the late Pat Robertson. Sheila is passionate about making the Bible practical and sharing how God is faithful to us through every moment of our lives, even in our worst moments. So Sheila, I can talk on and on and on about you, but I am so excited to be talking with you. So thank you for joining my podcast.
1: Oh, yeah. Honestly, it is such a joy to be talking with you. I would say that one of the highlights of my trip to Israel, which, by the way, was my very first time ever being in Israel, was meeting you and seeing the work that you do. You have become a dear friend.
0: Wow. It's so mutual. Immediately when I met you, I felt a soul connection, which only grew as I heard your wisdom and passion and genuine heart for God and met your amazing husband who shares that vision of spirituality and practicality mixed into one together with service and worship that um, you're the real deal, sister.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right back at you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: When we were in Israel, Sheila, we were talking a lot about me. And so I'm excited about this opportunity to talk about you. Um, You have an incredible story that you are originally from Scotland. And um, when we were together, you said that you had a calling from God to leave your home and to come to America. Can you tell us about that call? How did it come about? How did you hear it? And how did you respond?
1: You know, it's an interesting question because initially, I didn't think my calling was to America. I I went to seminary in London when I was um, 19. And the reason I went was I wanted to be a missionary in India. I had read so much about how difficult life is for women in India, um, that they're, they're not esteemed very highly. In certain circles, they don't have a voice. And so that was my passion. I actually bought a map of India and I put it up in my wall in my college dorm room. And day and night I would pray for the women of India. But it was actually upon graduation that I felt I felt God kind of move direction. And initially my thought was, why on earth would America need one more person of faith? I mean, it's just, you know, there's churches on every corner, there's synagogues everywhere. I mean, why on earth would, would you want me to be there? And it's only as the years have gone by in many ways in retrospect. That I see that perhaps what was needed most was the ability to be transparent and vulnerable rather mm-hmm. than to be kind of triumphalist, you know, in terms of only presenting the parts of your story that are the good news but that, that God and God, our father, Abba, you know, embraces all of us. And so um, I have come to love America as my own home. That is
0: so powerful. And it's something that I think is so needed. So often, um, people are preaching positivity and joy and growth, which is so important to always have that as our guiding star and where we ultimately want to go. But what happens when things are a little bit harder? What happens when suddenly we could reveal parts of our heart and soul that might be hard for us to reveal as people of faith and leaders? but somehow it makes us just get closer to one another. And that's really been your stamp, whether it's through music or hosting shows, or even I follow you on social media. Everyone should go and follow Sheila, Sheila Walsh on uh, social media, where where you share things of your life that are real, the beauty, the hardship, the thoughts. And it all is um, beautifully wrapped in this sacred present of, and God still loves you.
1: Yeah, and I think that, one of the most important things for me is that so often we make ourselves the hero of our own story. And to me, God is the hero of our story. You know, that it's and I think people find it hard to relate to people whose lives are appear to be perfect. And there's always that temptation on social media. You know, we present, you know, the, the best photo we took of the 20 and then we put filters and stuff on it. And, you know, I, I, that's fun to do every now and again, but I don't think that's where people live. And to me, that's, I've never seen myself as someone who goes ahead of people and says, follow me. I've always seen myself as someone who walks beside people saying, you know, we could do this together.
0: That is so beautiful, Sheila. And it's, I think, um, the real quality of a leader. And there's a beautiful quote, one of my favorite from the Rebbe of Lubavitch, who said, um, he said, what does it mean to be a great leader? It doesn't mean that you create lots of followers. It means you create lots of leaders. And the way to do that is by standing next to them hand by hand saying, come with me, which is what you do to everyone that meets you. I know even as myself who came to me for the first time in Jerusalem, there were no moments where I felt any intimidation, which very often happens when you have a big star with a, a resume like yours who comes to Israel. And um, at every second, you were just beautifully human with your authentic and pure and loving soul shining through. So I can say firsthand that you walk the walk. You don't just talk the talk. And I'm assuming that that's where, um, where you got inspired to become a singer.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because I started singing, but much more in a classical vein. Uh I I went for private music lessons. And then I had an interesting thing happen when I was 18 and deciding where to go for university. I was accepted into um, my, my music teacher wanted me to go to the London Academy of Operatic Art. And at the same time, I had been accepted into London Theological Seminary. And it was just this moment of asking God, where where does this path lead? What do you want me to do? Because it was very clear to me from about the age of 16 that I wanted my life to be all about serving God and listening to his voice and enjoying his companionship. And it really became clear to me that, that my path should take me to seminary. And honestly, I felt at that point I probably had put music down. But I've discovered that when God has put anything inside of us, it's just waiting for the season when that thing would bloom. And so even at seminary, I I formed a little group and we would often, you know, lead worship at chapel, which I really loved. And then when I left, instead of going straight to India, um, and instead of coming to America, I worked for a while with British Youth for Christ. And that's where I had my boss was a man called Graham Kendrick, who is a wonderful worship leader. And he was the one who kind of pushed me forward. And I remember saying to him, Graham, I don't want to be the front person, you know, you sing and I'll stand behind you. (laughs) And, um, but, but he was really the one who said, no, this is the time when God says it's time to step forward.
0: Mm, That's so beautiful because as people of faith, we often, um, have this value that is very biblical of humbleness. And what does humbleness mean is something that in my position of leadership, I think of very often, and I've had to explore a lot. And I've come to the conclusion that humbleness means recognizing your faults and recognizing that you can't do anything without God's help. And when he has given you a way to shine, you are not being humble by not shining. You are actually wasting a gift that he gave you to better this world. And I think of Moses, when he called Moses to leave the na- lead the nation, and Moses said, but, but I have a lisp, and they're not going to listen to me, I can't speak with the lisp. And God said, I know that, I still want you to go and tell the people that. And then Moses said, okay. That we have to yeah. be aware of our faults, but we also have to trust that if God is telling us to do something, then we go and do it. So I love your story of singing because it's so relatable. Like, okay, I know I have a good voice. I know I'm talented. I know I'm passionate about this and that God gave me this blessing and I'll stand right behind you and sing. He said, uh-uh, my friend right now is the time that you're going to stand in front and sing. And that must've been so difficult, but also must've felt so good that you can use this talent that god gave you to shine to inspire others and you've used it in an amazing way in a holy way um, every step of your journey
1: i'll never forget that first night though Yael. we were at a conference a youth conference in england and that was the first time that that graham said okay um tonight you know it's it's up to you you know we're he wrote some songs for me that were just absolutely beautiful and i loved but i was so nervous that i literally just slightly behind stage had a bucket and in between two songs i had to go out throw up in the bucket and come back and interestingly enough at the end of the conference it was the response of the audience that really kind of blew me away and i remember that night going for a long walk and asking the lord you know what does all this mean right. and it it was just this simple understanding of of walking beside him and allowing him because I realized that night what they were identifying or connecting with wasn't even so much me as as a person although it was part of that was definitely true it was my connection with God and their desire to connect with God that we become and I realized too that sometimes at our most broken that's where the light shines through Mm. when you're able to to be very clear that you know What's coming through here is the beauty of, of God through our broken places.
0: Ah, Wow, I, I relate to that so much. Uh, my um, prayer along every part of life has always been, Lord, I am your servant, use me. I'm a vessel. I'm only your vessel. And so during the hard times, use me. During the good times, use me. And let me live up to this task. And um, something that I think you said, I don't even know if you remember this that you said to me in Israel but it has stuck out so much to me is that you said that on your first trip to Israel when uh, we filmed together for t- TBN, uh, my first visit to Israel is what it's called featured on TBN that everyone should watch. um when we were together, you said this actually isn't a sightseeing trip but a sign
1: seeing trip can
0: you can you explain what you meant by that?
1: yeah, i I lots of friends who have gone on trips to Israel and it's almost more like checking off you know I saw this I did this um I was baptized in the River Jordan I did all these different things I I didn't want that so much I wanted to kind of walk the ancient paths and mm-hmm. watch walk the ancient stones and feel the presence of of God yeah. which is so clear to me in Israel I remember standing at the the western wall you know and watching the the men praying and then being able to go into the women's section which was very humbling and and even as I placed my hands on the wall the sense of this continuity of of God's faithfulness of human struggle and yet realizing this is where our strength lies that and it sometimes it was in the least expected places you know there are places that are looked on I think Um, And I don't mean this to be disrespectful, but I think are seen more as tourist places where people come because it's, you know, it's familiar. But for me, it was places like um, that, that, that last, that wall, remaining wall of the of the temple. It was in a little boat on the Sea of Galilee that that's where I felt the presence of God. And it's like it's like the air was so thick to me with his glory. There's a concept, um, both I think in
0: science and physics, as well as in spirituality, that once an energy comes to the world, it never could really leave, you could always tap into it, which is why um, we believe that we can still communicate and feel and love our loved ones who pass and the way that we're able to communicate with God and when something exists the mark that it left on the world never leaves whether it's a loved one or a grandparent or a child whoever it is that that they're still with us and they're still here there's a presence of them here in this world and when i visit the holy sites in israel that's how i feel exactly what wow. you described that when i put my hand on the last remaining wall of the temple i can feel the priests who are bringing the sacrifices on behalf of all the nations, my house is a house of prayer for all the nations. I imagine all the nations coming and bringing their sacrifices and I can hear the Levites in the background singing their songs and I can smell the incense and there's a part of it. I think a lot of these places become tourist places, like you said, because the original people tapped into it and understood. And then it just became something that you have to do. So when you talk about how you go there and you can still tap into that original uh, meaning and feeling and presence of God on the Sea of Galilee and the Garden of Gethsemane and the touching the Western Wall at the, all these places. And and I also believe that being there physically is something that, you can't compare to. But I know so many people who who follow the biblical mandate to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And they are tapping into that holiness of Israel from wherever they are, simply through prayer.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's I've always been aware of that. It was something that um, my father died when I was young. I was only five Mm -hmm. when my father died by suicide. But -hmm. I was raised by a very godly mother and you know that was one of the things we were not a rich family we were a fairly poor family we lived in housing provided by the government and so we were the ones that got free school uniforms and free school meals but but one of my remaining pictures uh, of my mother is her sitting in her green chair by the fireplace and opening up the word of god and that to me was worth you know a million mansions that, that Because what I saw in her life was that life was not easy, but that God was faithful. And I remember her often telling me of the mandate to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So even though I was raised in a small Baptist church on the west coast of Scotland, that was very much part of my spiritual journey and legacy.
0: What a responsibility we have as parents.
1: <laughs> oh, so True.
0: Those stories of like, you know, 30 years later, 40 years later, just when people remember this, and then I saw my mother, my father do this for good, for bad, for whatever. I always yeah. thought, wow, we have such a huge responsibility here. And I know you have a, a, a beautiful son who's in graduate school, who you've done an amazing job with, you and your husband, and are passing on that that legacy of faith and raising uh, the next generation of godly children. Um, another side I saw of you, uh, Sheila is when we were uh, visiting projects and I felt like you really just had a way of connecting to the elderly and to people who were less fortunate. So hearing where you came from, that makes a little bit more sense. Um, you visited a few fellowship projects. We have over 450 projects in Israel. Um, Last year, we provided 2.5 million meals to hungry people in Israel and Ukraine. Um, And so we saw a small, a small amount of programs, but still very powerful and meaningful to experience that together. What stood out to you from those visits?
1: Well, it's interesting. You said that you were not at all intimidated by meeting me or being with me. I have to confess, I was intimidated by meeting you because before no, seriously, because because before I came, you know, I wanted to understand as much as I could about those who would be joining on our journey and and just looking at the, the work that you, that your father pioneered and that you have taken up that mantle and continued was just overwhelming to me. And I discovered that um, so many of the things I've read about, even before I knew I would be coming to Israel and meeting you, were projects that really had my heart. And meeting some of those elderly Jews, whether it was from certain parts of, of Africa or a certain part or the Ukraine, and seeing that this spirituality lived out in flesh and blood. You know, it's so easy to say we pray for those who have so little and we care for those. But it's one thing to stand um, at the airport and say to them, welcome home. And to then provide them, not just with a place, you know, returning, not just, you know, aliyah, but also to be able to give them a place to work, to give them a community of faith with others who speak their language, was honestly overwhelming that that day after you and Laurie and I, spent together, just looking, as you say, at just the, the, a tiny portion of what you do. I remember going back to my hotel and just being overwhelmed by mm. the this love in action. And you said something to me that I thought was so interesting. Uh, you know, when I grew up in Scotland um, and I was right on the West Coast, very close to Ireland, and sometimes with my band, we would take the ferry and we would go across from Scotland to Ireland. And I remember being in Belfast one day when there was so much trouble going on there. And I had persuaded one of my band who'd never been to Ireland and was afraid because of the violence and the bombings. And, And I'd said to him, you know, honestly, Derek, I've been so many times and I've never experienced that. So I talked him into coming with me and we're walking through the streets of Belfast and a car bomb goes off. And I'm like, okay, I'm so, so sorry. That doesn't usually happen while I'm here. But I, but I noticed something that day because I was part of it, and that was when the bomb went off, people scattered. They ran away. But you told me something that that's not what you see in Israel. When there's some kind of explosion or an incident, people run toward the incident because they want to help. And that is something I've never experienced anywhere in my life.
0: I think it's what defines Israel. When people ask me, El, how did you leave the safety of America, the comfort of America for the Middle East, where your neighbors are Hezbollah and Hamas and all of the Iran proxies and the Muslim Brotherhood, and you're raising your children there and you're a country of less than 10 million people surrounded by hundreds of millions of enemies. El, are you crazy? <laughs> and I always say, I'll tell you why, because in Israel, everyone is family. And what Mm. better way to raise your children than that? When my kids were little and they would fall at the park, I would not even have time to stand up until there were already three parents on them helping. And when my 10-year-old takes buses by herself in Israel, which happens all the time, you see even younger ones, I told her, she's ready now, 17, when she was 10 and she was taking buses, I said, if you need anything, you ask the person next to you. And it's this concept I was raised with, don't talk to strangers, not ask the person next to you. And when my son was camping just a few weeks ago, My 15-year-old son, he was camping with his friends, and he sent me a picture of fresh watermelon and grapes and peaches. There's a heat wave here, like there is, I think, everywhere in the world. And I said, where did you get that from? You know, a bunch of teenage boys brought fresh fruits for camping. He said, no, there was a family next to us who gave it to us to enjoy, that it's a feeling of family. And so when a terror attack happens, God forbid, you should never know if you knew that your child was in the even vicinity of a terror attack you would not be running away from it you would be running towards it and so yeah. in israel that concept of brotherhood in very practical terms, um, represents itself on the bus while you're camping. It represents itself in the army of people who have given their own lives, jumping on a live grenade so it would kill them and not their comrades, which happen all the time, to when there's a terror attack going towards the terror attack in order to help. People in Israel are also um, skilled in basic first aid because they've gone through the army. So it's not that implying that people outside of Israel are bad for running away. You have to be safe. And if you don't have a way to help, there's no reason to run towards it. In Israel, because everyone's done the army, they're actually able to help and perform that uh, first aid that's needed. My daughter, who's almost 17, has been volunteering on an ambulance for two years. She took a course. She became a, a medic. And now she volunteers on ambulance eight hours a day, every free day she has going and helping people because... a year when she goes to the army she wants to be a combat medic so it's it's a different world but i guess you uh struck a chord there because um what the story that stood out to you is the story that really sums up why i moved to israel
1: yeah there's just something so incredibly beautiful about that because somebody said to me um you know, would you go back to Israel? Don't you feel like, don't you feel you have to watch the evening news to make sure if it's safe? And I said, I felt safer in Israel than I think anywhere I've been in my life. And that it's hard to explain to people unless they've actually set their feet on that ancient soil. And it doesn't mean that I don't think bad things wouldn't happen. They, They perhaps would, but if they did, they would have already passed through the hands of a merciful God.
0: Wow. One of the things that I love about your work, Sheila, is your honesty. And you acknowledge that life doesn't always live up to our expectations or turn out the way that we would like. Um, And we all know that from experience, but it's sometimes hard to face up to. Um, As people of faith, both Christians and Jews, you've given us a way to cope with life's uncertainties. You've been able to say, even in what you said just now, I can't guarantee that nothing's going to happen but I can guarantee that if anything happens and whatever happens has gone through the hands of our loving father first, you've been able to find meaning and purpose, despite many hardships that you've been very open about in your life, in order to bring you to peace, in order to bring you to faith and in order to inspire others. So I just want to personally and on behalf of all of your fans say thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: No, thank you. Yael. And I think that's one of the reasons that God entrusts us with things that initially don't make sense and perhaps never will um, this side of heaven. But I, I just think that that's, it, it, I remember I spent a month in a psychiatric hospital diagnosed with severe clinical depression. I had never dealt with my father's suicide or the shame attached at that point in a small Scottish religious town where my father was very involved in the church, the far, The fact that he took his life by suicide he was buried in an unmarked grave and we had to leave town and it was like there was a scarlet letter but um but I have discovered that it's it's our brokenness that often creates a greater bridge to other people I remember after I after my time in the hospital people said to me don't tell people where you were because no one will ever trust you again you'll never be special again and I remember saying to them you know it's not about that it's about Discovering that because honestly, as a teenager, and in my 20s, my greatest fear was that I would end up like my father, he ended up in a psych hospital at 34. And uh, I was 34 when I ended up in a psych hospital. Mm -hmm. But I discovered that there is no place too dark, um, that the presence of God cannot find you and be with you. I have the chills,
0: there is nothing more whole than a broken heart. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah, that uh, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach said, he said that the reason why is because when something is sitting on your heart, how do you let it penetrate? It has to break open first, and then you can let it in. And so sometimes from that place of brokenness, we can reach wholeness, we can connect to others, we can inspire others, we can understand others, Um, but it's only if we're able to be going back to that holy word, humble in the truest sense of being able to share our story. Um, I can talk to you forever, my friend, and we're gonna have to do this again soon. But before you go, I would love to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests. Is there one specific go to Bible verse that is either sitting on your heart right now, or a go to verse that has helped you get through some hard times?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fan um, of the Psalms. I read three Psalms out loud every single day, because it's good for my ears to hear what my eyes are reading. But this is from Psalm I'm going to try that. It's wonderful. It's it's like a declaration of this is what's true, no matter what I feel right now. Amen. So, So this is from Psalm 27, and it's verse 13. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord, Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Amen.
0: Amen. May we all internalize that, live that, know that, and repeat it to ourselves every second of every day. Sheila Walsh, thank you so much. Could you let our audience know where they can watch your new series and find out more about all of your different projects?
1: Yeah, on on Trinity Broadcasting Network on Wednesday nights at the moment, um, 9.30 Eastern time, it's my first trip to Israel. You can also download the free TVN app and watch programs at your own convenience there. They are incredible. So I personally
0: recommend everyone to go and do it. You will not regret it. Sheila, thank you, my sister, so much. I love you.
1: I love you too, my dear friend.